This is what management is saying about business operations in the unit. Negative variable cost productivity. <laughs> Price pressure. Why do we look at GE and say this is a train wreck? And we look at Berkshire and say, oh, that's so folksy and I understand railroads. Welcome to Behind the Idea, where we break down investment stories from the Seeking Alpha ecosystem to find out what makes investment analysis work. I'm Mike Taylor. And I'm Daniel Schwartzman. Today we're looking at a fallen blue chip, General Electric. But first, some background and a disclosure. Seeking Alpha is a website where investors around the world share their investment ideas and analysis. Neither Daniel nor I have any positions in any company discussed, and nothing on here should be taken as investment advice. If you like what we're doing, please leave a review and subscribe to Behind the Idea on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Today's topic, GE stock has fallen more than 55% in the last 15 months as the company has dealt with management missteps, scary pension obligations, and a bloated balance sheet. Lately, Rumors of an investment by Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway have breathed faint life into the stock. Today we look at an article by WG Investment Research that explores the good, the bad, and the ugly for GE investors. The theme for today's episode, what's going on with GE? So Daniel, why don't you talk us through a little bit of the current situation and WG Investment Research's Seeking Alpha article. Sure. Thanks, Mike. The current situation is not good for GE. They are ha- issued fairly conservative, poor guidance for 2018. They have a new CEO. It's possible that he's trying to kitchen sink their earnings for a while or just kind of clear the deck to then reset what they're doing in their operational performance. But The stock has been performing poorly. They cut their dividend. They are a blue chip that is trading quite below blue chip status. And WG Investment Research has been writing about GE for a long time and is long the stock and owns up to that. He goes through the good, the bad, and the ugly for GE and what their outlook is from this point forward. And he published this article on Wednesday, the 28th of March. And... It was in wake of the small bump that the stock saw from the potential that Buffett would invest. Maybe let's just start there with the Buffett thing, since that was the news peg for the article, kind of. So what do you think about buying a stock on rumors that a big investor may enter the scene? Or, you know, and Buffett is potentially the biggest investor. So tell me what you think about the Buffett rumors. The Buffett one's actually interesting because on the one hand, Buffett is considered to be more or less the best investor out there. And so, so to the general question, I don't think it's, I think you should do your own work. Yes, in theory, if a big investor is there, that could be a signal that there's some value there and that could make it worthwhile to consider the stock. But I think I would say it's obvious to not just take that as your conclusion, potentially as your start, but not the end of your process. But Buffett's also interesting specifically because when he gets into stocks like these, where they're really at a tough position, you know, he's got that Berkshire Hathaway has a huge cash balance and they're known for, on the one hand, 
they're the sort of company people like to be bought out by because they do a nice job of preserving your autonomy as a company, allowing you to kind of operate on your own, and you get access to easy capital internally. On the other hand, he has made a lot of profitable investments for him, lending money or investing money at terms that are more favorable than what you or I might get if we invested. And so in general, I think a big investor is probably a small positive, but with Buffett, there's actually those two points of mitigation, which are he tends to get favorable terms, which is not so good for the company, maybe. It depends on the context. And also the fact that he gets more favorable terms means what he's doing has actually much less to do with your or my decision on whether or not to buy GE shares, common stock shares. So I, that would be how I would frame it. I don't know. How how would you look at it? Yeah, I'm more or less with you. I cannot, at this point in the GE story, with the stock being not so much and so many issues, it feels a little bit like the last refuge for a bull to kind of exactly. take up the idea that uh, some kind of white knight investor is going to come in and help support the stock. It just doesn't have, I think what you said about doing your own research and coming up with a compelling fundamental story is much more persuasive. I think that Buffett can be, I was looking at some of his famous distressed investments, you know, during the financial crisis, he took a look at and invested in I think Goldman and Bank of America were two, and those were kind of classic Buffett terms where he got a deal that maybe no one else on the planet could have gotten in terms right. of working to his benefit. And then more recently, he did some kind of deal with Home Capital Group, a Canadian mortgage company, I believe. Yeah. Again, there, it wasn't clear at the time of the deal that common shareholders would work out all that well, although there is a long-term benefit to having Buffett invested in a company since he does have a long-term philosophy and he, I think good companies or potentially good companies with huge balance sheet issues tend to be attractive for him and he can help them wade through tough right. times. So there is something to it, but it's not something I would hang my hat on. Uh, right. So it's, it's, it's not zero sum, right? Even though he's going to get what he wants out of it, it's also not the sense that you are... I mean, it's capitalism. It's a it's a agreed to exchange of money or goods or whatever else. So we've talked about this. Uh, we were joking about GE being the Teva of the U.S. since we did a podcast about Teva, which is another iconic company. Teva's Israeli, but still that was going through some balance sheet liquidity issues, tough times, but overall very sort of reputable, long-standing company. Uh, that was another situation where we thought that, you know, financing was important to the story. And so some kind of financing here could potentially be a positive for GE. But I think that Buffett's name can potentially cause an overreaction among investors in terms of how much of a positive his presence is. But anyway, it's it doesn't feel like a negative. I don't think either of us are saying that. So right. it's interesting and it's interesting that the the media did pick up on this and even a Wall Street analyst from RBC made a comment that it would make sense. Buffett did say that at the right price, GE would make sense for him as an investment. So there's very, very little to go on here, but it did kind of enter the narrative. So it's interesting maybe that it's just, it, there may be nothing there, but 
we have to talk about it since the market sort of picked it up. So let's get into the good of GE's story, moving on from sort of speculation about how it's going to secure any financing it might need. What's the good fundamental story here for GE, according to WG Investment Research? He makes a contextual argument for GE. The author says that GE is going to benefit from an improving business environment. The OECD revised its economic outlook forecast and earnings and revenue growth are expected to be solid according to FactSet and the dollar is weak. GE has a ton of businesses abroad, so in theory they will earn more from their euros, their yuan, their yen, etc., and be able to convert them back for more dollars than they normally would. And so that's that's basically the good argument along with the I think embedded in there is this argument that the new CEO John Flannery this will buy time. This is not yeah. It's not we're not in 2008-9. There's some time, there's some room to turn this around and get things moving. Do you so buy it? Do I buy it? Yeah. I want to talk about a sticking point that I have here. We're both kind of the global growth story, I think, reads as lukewarm because, you know, businesses are exposed to the global economy. It's not really a company-specific argument. But beyond that, I want to talk about, even if we're going to make a sort of economic cycle argument, I think for that argument to be persuasive, we need to separate what kind of issues GE is dealing with. Are these issues related to the economic cycle or are they structural issues? Like, are there trends that are not cyclical that are working against GE or for GE? Right. And I think that there may be a bit of a mismatch here in terms of, to his credit, to WG's credit, specifically says that this is necessary but not sufficient for a turnaround. So he says that this is the kind of condition that under which a really troubled company can start to right itself. But he doesn't say that that's what's going to happen, just that the conditions that are needed are present. But I think at the same time, it's a little bit sticky. I don't find the global growth thing all that persuasive. I also don't find the foreign exchange argument very persuasive for a couple reasons. One, it feels like if you're taking a long-term investment perspective, the cycles of relative foreign exchange rates are probably going to wash out in the long run. And and two, it's not really something that you can accurately forecast, I think. Even if the fa- you're right about the factors that are underlying the dynamics, we don't know how the currencies themselves are going to react, even if we know what's going to happen, which we also don't. So I kind of, I don't buy currency stories generally. It's not something that I assign very much weight to in my own analysis. And it's not because it's not a factor in how companies perform. It's more, I just don't really believe that anyone has a good grip on what's going to happen there. What do you think? You're you're telling me. I I tend to spend time abroad and feel the vicissitudes of currency movements more directly than I think I do through my portfolio. And yeah, that gives me no expertise, but I I think you make a good point even more than we don't know what's going to happen is that 
it's going to be transitory unless you fundamentally believe that the U.S. dollar, for example, should be much weaker. The fact that it's a little weaker this year than last year, I mean, it's something like 12 or 10% weaker, I think. But I don't know that that really changes the story. You still have costs abroad. So we're talking about it doesn't all add up that to that much. But I think where we may be nitpicking is because this was, and maybe this is the concern for, you know, what is going on with GE if the good in your argument is just that the world is getting better and that the environment is good, like not so great for GE. That if you can't tell me anything, what do you think of my son? Do you like him? Oh well, he's got a nice bike. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, you know, I I don't. What do you like I, about GE? <laughs> well, the global economy may do well. Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah, same, that's what I think. Yeah, 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 not the best analogy, but no, I got. I like. But it. Yeah. but I think it does make sense as sort of a backdrop. So I wouldn't call it the good per se, but if you're trying to find some reasons to hold on or to consider the value here saying, look, it's not like the world is going to end. You you have some room, the economy's picking up. I get that. I do I do understand that. I would want to think through what happens if I'm wrong about that because that's all well and good, but then if the economy tanks I'm really in trouble. But yeah, I, I get that. I don't think it's yeah. I don't I, think it's unreasonable. Yeah. And and we'll talk maybe a little bit when we talk about valuation that, you know, for a company with a lot of operating leverage like GE that if it turns profitable, then potentially there is a you can make a pretty quick up, upside case if if it gets through these issues. Mm-hmm. One last thing on the weak dollar, I'm not going to let this go just yet. You know, we're like inflation, inflation, inflation. The economy is doing well. We're at full employment. Is is there any reason to forecast that? inflationary trends they're cyclical Mm -hmm. isn't you know if we're late in the cycle then deflation becomes just as much of a concern as inflation it affects your thesis i'm just going to go back and hammer home that maybe the reason that i'm hitting on this so much is that this argument of a weakening dollar can apply to almost any company that has international exposure that whose profits are denominated in dollars and I've yet to see a persuasive argument about it, and I see, I just see it a lot, and I'm not sure that it ever really does move the needle for me. Enough, enough hammering at that. I feel like we got that. Um, right. So let's get into the bad, the bad, the bad for GE. So what's the bad here? What what is WG saying is the negative side of this story, which is obviously something the market is paying attention to, cutting the stock in half, basically. So WG argues that the bad is GE power, and we can certainly say that GE power is not good. It is a unit that revenue went down just a little bit year over year, not not it's it has two segments to it not a huge change there and yet profit went down quite a lot almost got cut in half segment so operating profit is i guess what segment profit would equate to and so you take 2.3 billion of profit out of the bottom line and that again with operating leverage everything else that that's not so good for ge so i guess that that is his argument for the bad the the article 
actually the bad is the shortest section of it. The ugly gets more time, but that's, <laughs> that's where he goes. And what do you what do you make of that? I well, this ties back to what I was saying before about the cyclical versus structural thing. So, did you get a sense of GE Powers? proportion of overall revenue am i right that it was like one third or it is sort of the plurality segment right so it could pretend it is potentially the main driver of performance if you're looking just on a revenue basis you're right it's about 30 percent of total segment revenues and then they also and we'll get into this they also describe it 29 percent of total segment revenues 31 percent of industrial segment revenues and right. 19% of industrial segment profit. And so it's not Ooh. small. Right. A couple of themes emerge here. This gets us back to the theme of the episode, which is what's going on with GE? And I think one of the things that comes up as we explore this argument or we explore this article, it's really hard to just answer this question, what's going on with GE? You're looking at proportion of segment revenues within the business lines. The company has however many reporting segments in the 10K, seven or eight maybe, and then each I one of those has eight, sub, yeah. sub, subsections beneath it. So here I just wrote down some highlights from the management discussion and analysis of GE Power, which is, depending on how you look at it, somewhere around one-third of the overall revenues of one portion of the company. GE Power merged with GE Energy. GE Power sold its water and process technologies division to Suez. There's a plan to sell industrial solutions to AVB. Mm -hmm. Alstom's thermal and grid integration is now working into the business. HA Turbines is making new product investment. Power services, gas power systems, and power conversion have been having inventory issues. So just from that litany of different business lines, that ties into our theme. What's going on with GE? How do you even start? The company is so sprawling and vast and has so many different operating segments that you can look at it from an extremely high level, but if you're ever trying to figure out what's driving the performance, there's just so much going on that it would take a, a lot of effort and time to sort of wrap your head around how this business works. So when you're looking for a turnaround story, that's a problem, I think. It gets so hairy and you have to, when you're talking about breaking up the business and valuing the components as a potential source of value creation for shareholders, you have to, how do all these things interconnect? Do they interconnect and how? And are there company is buying some things and entering partnerships with other businesses and also selling off other segments. So what's going on with GE is a really tough question to answer with any amount of confidence is one thing that I would say. Well, I think it's two things come to mind as you, you say all this. So I first, just on GE specifically, I, I tried to look at their other segments to try to understand just looking at the profit. I didn't look at revenue, but you know, what are their profits of their different revenues or in their different segments? And so they have the eight segments. ONG went down from 1.4 billion to 0.2 billion in operating profit. Yeah. They are in a some again, somewhat confusing. They merged with they merged their oil and gas unit with Baker Hughes. They own, I think, 62.5% of Baker Hughes GE. The 10K doesn't really say that 
any related costs or the reason that profit went down. And you would think their revenue was up quite a bit, I think, there. So you would think that in oil and gas, that's an area that you might be seeing some positive cyclicality right now. And yet mm-hmm. they they weren't making a lot of money. I dubbed three segments as unimportant, renewable. <laughs> well, just from the from the operating profit perspective. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did similar things. So go ahead. Yeah. Renewable, renewable energy, transportation, and lighting. Yeah. Uh, they combined for about 1.9 billion in operating profit last year. That went down to 1.6. So also some negative trends in those units. Aviation and healthcare are their two strongest segments in terms of operating profit. Both both increased incrementally and add up together to ten billion in operating profit. So they had they had something like a roughly ten percent high single digit percentage increase in those areas. And then they've got GE Capital, which I think is probably the hardest thing to understand about mm-hmm. GE and that went from losing 1.3 billion last year to losing 6.8 billion this year and has been negative in each of the last 3 years. Yeah, so they we're going to get rid of that. Am I wrong? I don't know. I think they well and so I trying to understand doing very cursory diligence. I I pulled up an article by John Mason who is a seeking alpha contributor yeah. and who focuses more on finance and so GE sometimes will come into his scope because of the finance. And the takeaway I got from one of his recent articles was basically, yeah, GE didn't want to be involved in finance and they thought that was, I can't remember if that was Immelt or if that was Welch, Jack Welch or Jeffrey Immelt, but they they did want to move away from that after the crisis, but they ended up selling off all their good units. And so oh, yeah, yeah. it was a huge profit generator. They sold off all these profitable aspects of GE Capital. And so now they're left with a portfolio, I'm paraphrasing, a portfolio of more or less toxic assets. Bad tox- they got the bad bank. Is that, yeah, I, I may be overstating that. I don't want to attribute that to anybody because I think I may be overstating that point. But it's the, the reason they lost so much money is that they did a, they realized that their insurance premiums were deficient. And so they took a $6.2 billion charge. And they also had other higher impairments and EFS strategic actions. I don't remember what EFS stands for, but that's they wrote off eight point four billion, which is not very good. That's no, not good. That's not good. Yeah. So okay. So I want to. I have two sort of thing. So I think that that GE finance capital, I think capital GE capital discussion kind of gets at again how we have. According to WG, the, the GE power has been the thing that has driven a lot of the negative action GE lately. That itself is a pretty complicated business to try and understand. We have whole other divisions of the company that are at least as opaque as GE power and possibly more so. I also want to come back to this business environment being favorable, cyclical versus secular theme here because if your argument is that GE Power was driving some of the negative action and that one of the positives for GE is going to be more favorable economic conditions or economic conditions continuing to improve, just a couple items from the discussion on GE Power. Management cited 
more emphasis on renewables and lower demand for thermal generation affecting both new unit additions and installed base services. That sounds like a shift in customer preferences, not necessarily anything cyclical. The company also cited excess capacity in developed markets. That also sounds like a structural issue to me. So I come back to, I think, basically the good as we go through and follow up on this concept of GE power being a driver of the lag of performance, it's not clear to me that improving economic conditions are going to drive a turnaround in GE power based on what management is saying about what's going wrong. And then I also just thought that this was funny, so I'm just going to read this quote from MDNA. The decrease in profit for GE power was partially driven by $0.9 billion of charges in the fourth quarter, primarily related to slow-moving and obsolete inventory in power services, gas power systems, and power conversion, a litigation settlement, and a bankruptcy of a distributor. Profit further declined due to negative variable cost productivity. I say again, profit further declined due to (laughs) negative variable cost productivity. Unfavorable business mix due to higher revenues from lower margin balance of plant volume and fewer higher margin aeroderivative units and price pressure. (laughs) These decreases were partially offset by positive base cost productivity. This is what management is saying about business operations in the unit. Negative variable cost (laughs) productivity. Price pressure. Okay, they can't, they don't have pricing power. They are getting their their price takers at a main line of their business. And their working capital investments are their, their, what they're doing to operate their, their variable costs. Anything that they're doing that's related to incremental sales has been negatively productive for them. Right. Is that, that's a company-specific problem. That's not a global economic recovery right. problem. This is management telling you what's going on. That was almost a billion dollars decrease in, in profit. Basically them saying, we don't know what we're doing. This management saying, what's going on with GE? So how do you find a bull case in that? That's hairy. That's gnarly. I don't, that paragraph tells me, like, what are you doing? You know, that doesn't seem like we've found the problems. That seems like we're, we, have, we have obsolete inventory. We can't right. sell anything. We are marking down our prices. It just it hurts me to, to see that. So if we're saying GE Power was the bad then I agree with WG looking at the 10K. GE Powers is ugly. I'm not confident that the good will work to the benefit here. I keep coming back to that, but I wanted to sort of dress up my thought process for why this is seems like a major issue. The one thing I will say is that both apparently the company and the author are arguing that there needs to be a turnaround here. There's not a magic wand that is supposed to turn right. the turn things around in that segment right away, but 12 to 18 months is also not a long time to deal with obsolete inventory. And Yeah. I do want to say, though, uh, so before we get into the ugly, one thing I did like here is he cites 
these incremental bright spots, and you mentioned them, healthcare, aviation, renewable energy. I just looked at there again, I guess I took a much more top line focus than you did, mm-hmm. partly because I was trying to get a sense of, you know, if expenses are an issue, maybe then the profitability numbers are that we see in recent times are are not necessarily reflective of the long-term earning power of the company. But that just that these bright spots account for about 20% of some proportion of revenue. The point was a, a significant proportion of revenue were cited by WG as potential bright spots. If this is if GE is an industrial conglomerate, which it is, and it's got therefore probably fairly high fixed costs in many of these business and therefore high operating leverage. If and you know Greenblatt, one of our favorites, shout out to Joel Greenblatt, says that any kind of leverage can if you turn it around and you turn green, it doesn't take a lot. It takes only a small change in revenues right. uh, to sort of flip from losing money to making money. So I think that there is and WG this is where, really where I think there's some credit should be given is that to me shows, okay, now we're in the frame of we're discussing, okay, what could happen? What would it look like if things did kind of flip positive? If, if a meaningful proportion of the business starts earning, then this thing could, the story could turn, the market could turn, and things flip really quickly if, if the turnaround does happen. But first... You need to get through the ugly, which I think comes down to the balance sheet. That was my reading here. But Daniel, why don't you tell us what's the ugly of GE? Yeah, I think it's it's the balance sheet, the cash situation, and they've just got a few things going on. Um, <laughs> they've got a few things going on. What do they got? So... I, and I think WG is mostly alluding to them. He mentions that actually they're still generating a decent amount of cash. He refers to a shrinking pension deficit. And then he says, and this is a backhanded compliment to slip into your article about a stock you own. GE's balance sheet is not the complete disaster that many pundits would have you believe. <laughs> so, okay. Here's what I could understand from GE's situation Wait, let's just stop for a second then he cites a, a zero dollars in tangible book value was how i interpreted <laughs> what he was saying he said that tangible assets are equal to tangible liabilities i think that's right. in the article i don't want right. to like caricature that but i'll just quickly say that that may not be as bad as what they're saying but that's not good right well and, and also this idea of we'll just sell the la- assets to pay the liabilities Unless you right. get more for the asset than it's valued on your books, I don't know if that really does much for you. And so that's also an issue. I understand, and this to me is the thorniest part. Here's what I understood about the balance sheet, et cetera, situation. You have net debt of about $80 billion, not including GE Capital. GE Capital has another $30 billion in net debt. I'll come back to that in a second. Okay. $112 billion market cap for reference. So they have about the equivalent in net debt to their market cap currently. I should say that I'm including in that figure $34.2 billion in pension benefits, unfunded pension benefits, which I think a lot of companies struggle with this. Pensions are fixed benefit pension plans where you promise to deliver X percent 
returns to the peop- the employees who are a member of the plan. Yeah. And I think that's an, I don't want to break it down yet, but I think there's some interesting stuff there. But that's a lot. And to make more direct how why I'm including that, they've said in their 10K that they are going to issue about six billion in debt to support pension benefits. So obviously. That this is a real obligation. It's not something that you should ignore. And so their balance sheet has a lot of debt on it. Uh, they are generating cash, but free cash flow has been a little bit up and down and is not so... I just mentioned $80 billion in net debt, including pension, not including G capital. Free cash flow, I think, last year was about $3 billion. So that's not a great... I don't think there's... I don't think that's a financial ratio you usually use, but free cash flow to net debt is not very good. The last point I would make is G Capital was their major loser and has been for a while. I am not capable of saying with any sort of insight or authority what is going on at G Capital, but it has various financial units. As we mentioned, they had to cover insurance premiums. That is a business that has to be sitting there as sort of a anchor or a albatross for the company that they're stuck with that they can't get rid of. And so I think that further, to jump to my conclusion a little bit, I think you could make the turnaround case and the operational, the bad, you can address that. You can see how they might, despite what we've said about GE Power, you can see how they might be able to turn that around and so forth in theory. And they are an industrial giant. They have I was just glancing at the 10K. Their backlog seemed to be up. Like I think people's, I don't think GE is a sham of some sort. I think people generally are using them, and they're still a giant. But I don't think I would. I look at all that ugly stuff, and I think, geez, I don't know how how somebody would be comfortable saying, yeah, I think there's, I know how to value this company, and I think that value is higher except for looking at the chart and saying, well, it used to be 30 and maybe that's where it should be. And so that that's yeah. sort of how I would break down the ugly. Yeah, I think that's the big, it's really thorny. And anything that's that we, where we talk about asset sales or sort of right-sizing the balance sheet, you mentioned this before, you need to find a buyer who's willing to make that an economic benefit to shareholders that's tough when everybody knows that GE is having trouble, right? Mm-hmm. And we talked about that the track record so far has been that companies and even GE in particular have trouble realizing the value of their attractive assets when they're struggling. And, you know, we saw this with AIG that they had to sell off basically all of their great businesses mm-hmm. uh, during the financial crisis. And that was not really to shareholders' benefit, but because they were in such a tight jam, that's what they had to do. And so that's a risk to me to any sort of asset sale slim down story for GE. I'm not sure that you could say with confidence. In fact, I would probably be pessimistic that any sort of asset sales would work to the benefit of shareholders. But let's talk... I, so WG doesn't arrive at a definitive valuation, but as you said admirably says that the cost basis WG is working from is $22 a share. Obviously, shares are down substantially from their 14, or I don't know what they're at today, but you know, roughly a third from where they were. 
and it's just going to look at it, and if it drops down far enough, would take a bite. I did some very rough stuff here, and what do you have? I'm just going to walk through my thought process. So, let's say that let's make some reasonable but optimistic assumptions and say, okay, so let's say GE can flip to a 6% profit margin. It's been losing money lately, but whatever. And it revenues hold at 120 billion, which is what they were at in 2017. That'd be 7.2 billion in net income. If you put a 10 price to earnings ratio, that's a $72 billion business. And at today's market cap, that's GE would be trading at about a 16 price earnings multiple, which is cheap relative to the market. I don't know if I'd call it cheap relative to the issues that it's suffering now, but you can kind of basically just doing some sort of bare bones look that way. You could see maybe we're starting to get into a range where you might make sense. I don't, I think we're at the top of that range right now, basically. And then the other thing I looked at is, you know, Warren Buffett getting back to the original impetus for the article. He says that Berkshire Hathaway is a buy when it's at about 1.5 times book value. GE looks like it's at about 1.3 times book value right now. But GE is, I don't think anyone would make the case that GE is anywhere close to Berkshire in terms of the quality of its business or its net assets. So... If we're in Warren Buffett's shoes, do we think that GE is 85% the business that Berkshire is, which is where it's it's valued now in terms of its proportion of the sort of buy point for Berkshire? I would say that GE is not a sort of B or B minus version of Berkshire Hathaway. It's probably more of a C minus or D version of Berkshire. Berkshire. So all of that brings me around to like, we might be at the top of the range where you would start looking at this for me anyway, but I, I think it would have to come lower for it to be a really high conviction. If, if you could even arrive at a high conviction, given all the issues. But that was my, that was my take. I'm with WG here that this is something that you start to look at, but I'm not any really any further along than that. What do you think? I think that's an interesting framing in that you have to, well, in that you have to knock the, I I think what WG did a nice job of actually is, I I think the article was a little bit, it could have gone deeper into all of these aspects. And I think we've nitpicked on the good and mentioned the bad and the ugly and whatever else, but it's a helpful framework because I actually think that is sort of the story right now. And there isn't a ton of good. The bad is operational performance and the ugly is that they've got the G capital and the balance sheet and all that stuff. And I think you can buy that the bad will turn to good. And I think you gave a nice framework for how to think through that. But I think you have to then discount and say, well, I would probably go lower than that. And so if normally I would buy at a 15 PE, maybe I would need a 10 PE. Or if I yeah. normally would, if Buffett would go 1.5 book, maybe I would go book. What I, I, so I, yeah, I would definitely need to spend a lot more time understanding how serious the ugly is before I thought it would be worth the time to then look into whether the turnaround could happen and what the value would be, I think. But actually I, I wanted to maybe diverge a little bit yeah. And I should I should edit my disclosure. I actually I have shares of Berkshire Hathaway 
the B stock, not the, I think people, whenever somebody discloses that they have the A shares, I think that's the ultimate, let me show you how big my portfolio is. That's a big is. boy move. That's a big <laughs> boy move. That's yeah. a big time big boy move. But I have some Berkshire B and it's doing just nicely. But Berkshire is also an opaque conglomerate with units that have nothing to do with each other. Yes. Go for it, Daniel. What is the difference between Berkshire and GE? GE is not, because this is not, you know, in this week, for example, we can make fun of Tesla. Tesla is in the news and Tesla is an upstart and whatever else. GE is an industrial giant. And the fact that they have all these units, like that's partly due to their success and growing over time. Why do we look at GE and say, this is a train wreck and we look at Berkshire and say, oh, that's so folksy, and I understand railroads, and I understand... Is it just presentation? Is it performance? What do you think? Why, is it, why are those two companies... Two letters, why is Buck, Why is Warren Buffett the hero here? Two letters. B.S. Berkshire. <laughs> no, balance sheet. Balance sheet. <laughs> Berkshire has $82 billion in long-term debt. 702 billion in total assets. Its assets to debt ratio is what? That's almost nine versus you were just discussing GE's balance sheet. The balance sheet's upside down for GE. Berkshire has a basically impenetrable balance sheet. It's got right. It's got $115 billion in cash and short-term investments out of total assets of $702 billion. I bet I haven't looked so full disclosure, I'm taking a guess here, but my guess is that Berkshire's tangible book value is well above $0. <laughs> GE's tangible book, according to WG, and I trust the analysis, is $0. So where's the difference? I, I get where you're coming from, from a sort of overall strategy standpoint, but the financing of the assets for GE is a huge difference maker here. You know, but... They are the same in terms of the asset base, but the sources of financing are completely different. One has an upside-down balance sheet. The other one has the best balance sheet maybe in the world. So do you think if, if GE – because we said – and the reason I bring it up, because we did say, oh, I don't understand GE. Like, look at their crazy businesses. How do they fit? Right. If they didn't have the balance sheet problems, would we be looking at them and saying, would the stock be double where it is because people would have already bought the turnaround thesis? Like, is that, does that become, I know this is a very, maybe fruitless counterfactual, but if we have the good, if we have the bad, and we have the ugly, is it the presence of both bad and ugly that prevents us from investing? And maybe if we're only the bad, we might How take a stab. How can we do this? Let's try it. Let's try it. Can we bring up GE's balance sheet real quick and see if we can monkey and make it into a Berkshire balance sheet? Let's try it. Let's try it. Let's try it. It's worth trying. Welcome to the monkeying the balance sheet portion of Behind the Idea. Well, I think let's give it a try. So here we go. GE's... We disagreed on the relative quality of GE's 10K, by the way. I I appreciated their effort to... Oh, the blue, you like the blue ink, four color, four color. I like that they color. put some pictures in it, and that they kind of. I just think they they didn't they weren't content to just give you the standard Edgar 
same charts. I don't know. I just it's nice. I want to see the financial statements here. You you want to talk about the difference between GE and Berkshire Hathaway? Does the Berkshire 10K have Buffett's picture in it? Does it have Munger's picture in it? I don't know. I'm not going to bring it up and look, but um, I don't think so. I'm I'm scrolling through it right now. Okay. So long-term debt for GE is 110 billion dollars. A long-term debt for Berkshire Hathaway is. 83. So Berkshire has way more assets financed by way less long-term debt. So this is just really sketchy, stupid stuff. But if we proportion out the assets, the debt to assets of the two companies, we get 700 billion on 10 on, help me. Are we doing? I'm just going to do something really dumb. Sorry, listeners. You're going to have to bear with me for a second. So that's eight, 8.75 total assets to debt ratio for right. GE, for Berkshire. Let's just slap on, let's say that GE somehow acquires for free tons of assets to bring <laughs> 75. It then, it basically doubles the current asset base. And if we hold all else constant, that means that the book value goes from 64 billion to the book value just skyrockets. So basically, yes, to answer your question, I think that the market completely looks at the company differently. And probably even if GE shows some sign of, of that happening, of, of the level of stability and the level of financial strength that Berkshire has, we've been through cycles where GE looks great. And right it gets a better valuation. It looks stronger. So that's definitely possible. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't think that survival seems to be the concern here, right? It's no. just like, this is a long slog that we don't know when it's going to end. So again, this does, the value story seems to be emerging. I think our problem is that like many businesses, when we try to understand based on the fundamentals, the market still, it still looks expensive, even given how ugly things are. I, that's where I come back to. I come back to, yes, you could even say that GE does compare to Berkshire in terms of this conglomerate issue, but the market is right to be skeptical here and potentially is not skeptical enough, to be honest with you. Well, and just not to say that performance is fact, but Berkshire in this millennium from January 1st, 2000, is up 445%. General Electric is down 54.5%. Oh, I thought you were going to give me the mirror and say that he's also down 445%. Well, they could, it could have been worse. They could have compounded negatively, I guess. Yeah, nobody's done it. So, yeah. No, it's just interesting to me that I guess I don't, I don't know that I have a point, but it's interesting that the same concerns on one company of opacity of an odd conglomerate yeah. business construction on another company. It's viewed as, I think some people are skeptical about it. I don't think it's universally preferred, but I think it's viewed much more favorably. And you're right. The, the most obvious difference is the balance sheet and then probably operations are pretty telling and then management. And that's why that's to go back to where we started Buffett's Buffett's presence. Yeah, it matters. Yeah. It matters for Berkshire. I think there are other things like the balance Berkshire just being better financially managed. But okay, so cool. GE, gnarly story, iconic company, all American brand. 
God, we, we, it seems like we come down on WG, the article, as the conclusion seems reasonable and we see where they're coming from. We had some nits to pick, but we're sort of on this, like, the same stay away and look, maybe value might come. So it's interesting that we arrive at a similar place after breaking everything apart as the author. I don't think that always happens necessarily. But our reasoning is maybe a little bit different. Although we're taking it, we're taking it on its terms. What do you think? What do you think well, of the, the idea? Well, I think also, and this is an interesting, the author has been along GE, and you have to face things like sunk cost fallacy or right. anchoring and that sort of thing. I think that's, it, it's easy for us to sit on the sidelines and say, well, you've got to look at GE as if you're investing in it for the first time and make a decision, and I think if you do that, it becomes easier actually to say too hard, not worth it, whatever else. But for for the author, for or for an investor who is already long GE, you may you may be looking for, and somebody who has been public about it, you may yeah. be looking for reasons to. But you know, the, the That's why WG's, you buy. Just don't buy any stocks. You won't have this problem. <laughs> And don't okay. write for seeking alpha. <laughs> right. What about alpha? <laughs> We're looking for alpha here, Mike. Come yeah. on, man. So yeah, I don't know. So so I I think it's a reasonable analysis. It was a nice analysis to break down. And GE is one of the. There are a lot of good stories in the stock market in 2018, and I think GE is that's a big story, story right now. Great 10k, really well <laughs> Okay, I I think we're good. What do you think? Let's let's leave it there. All right, Daniel. All right, thanks, Mike. Yep, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Seeking Alpha's Behind the Idea. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes and Apple Podcasts. If you have a chance, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes. If you have feedback, suggested articles, or anything else for Behind the Idea, tweet at DanielSeekingA or at Taylor, or email me at Daniel at SeekingAlpha.com or Mike at MTaylor at SeekingAlpha.com. This has been a Seeking Alpha production. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Behind the Idea.